Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese. John, how was your week? It was pretty good. How about yours, Jonathan? It was good. We've got a lot of good stuff to cover on the show and I'm excited to get into it. We'll recap this weekend's racing action, bring you the news of the week, and give you a preview of what's to come in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's episode of Double Stint. Well, first, let's quickly run you through what happened on track this week. We saw lots of action from Fanatec GT World Challenge, and we'll start with Fanatec GT World Challenge Europe, powered by AWS. They had a pair of rounds at Valencia ahead of the season finale in Barcelona. In race one, it was the Silver Cup car, the number 53A of Corsa Ferrari, of Ulysse Depas and Pierre Alexander Jean, who took the victory. They wrapped up the Silver Cup Sprint Drivers Championship in Mizano, but it was the Pro Cup, number 32 Team WRT Audi of Dries Van Thor and Charles Wirtz, who claimed their third consecutive Sprint Cup championship title in GT World Challenge Europe powered by AWS. They finished on the podium and then converted that into a surprise win in race two, making two dramatic overtakes on the final lap just to add an exclamation point on the season. Rafael Marciello also secured the overall GT World Challenge Europe powered by AWS championship. He is the first two-time combined champion in the series. There were so many great headlines from this weekend in Valencia, and we encourage you to read all about them in Dan Lloyd's excellent coverage over on sportscar365.com. Also in action this week, we saw Fantech GT World Challenge Australia powered by AWS at Sandown and Super GT at Sportland Sugo. And of course, you can read all about them in the weekly racing roundup on sportscar365.com. Well, John, let's dive into covering the news of the week and let's start with the reveal of the Ford Mustang GT3 car. It was revealed digitally in conjunction with the 2024 reveal of the production car Mustang along with the new Dark Horse Special Edition, alongside the GT4 car and a whole host of other race cars that were shown in a brief video. We know that the GT3 car will debut at the 24 Hours of Daytona in 2024, uh, but that the GT4 car could be competing as early as late next year. As far as the GT3 program, we know it'll be run by Multimatic, and it'll be a two-car effort in IMSA's GTD Pro class. And Ford has expressed interest in running in SRO, the World Endurance Championship, and even Le Mans as a customer team. We know, obviously, the history of Ford at Le Mans dating back to the 60s and then the return in 2016 with the Ford GT. Uh, They're looking to do it again here with the GT3 car and we know already that they're going to be running in IMSA too. So it'll just be great to see Ford back in the mix in GT3 racing. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, Jonathan. Um, We got the the first look at what this car will be, even though it, it wasn't in real life. It was in digital form. It was about a one minute long video that sort of previewed all the different Mustang race cars and track day cars that'll be around this new seventh generation platform that was unveiled um, in Detroit on, on the eve of the start of the North American International Auto, Auto Show. And um, there was a huge crowd on hand and it looked like a really big event. Um, specifically with the Mustang GT3, um, we know it will begin testing at some point either later this year, late this year, or early next year. I had a good chat with Mark Rushbrook, the Ford Performance Motorsports Global Director, um, and he confirmed to me those details. Um, GT4 is on a little bit of a, a, a closer time frame. That car will um, de- race its race debut will come in the second half of next year. Um, it, it's similar timeline to some other GT4 style Mustangs in the past. I think the FR350RC 
had a mid-season debut quite a few years ago. That was not GT4 homologated, but it ran in what is now Michelin Pilot Challenge. So um, a similar philosophy there from Ford. Um, in terms of the car's participation, um, Rushbrook confirmed to me the only factory program will be in GTD Pro and IMSA with the Multimatic run operation. All those other series, and they definitely want to be racing in as many GT3 series as they can. All that will come with customer cars, and they're quite bullish on on the prospects of of customers. He said um, they've received a lot of interest from all around the world. I I asked him, you know, what's the spread between America, North America, and Europe? And he says, well, you're forgetting Southeast Asia and Australia too, because we have just as much interest in those regions as well. So um, that took me for a bit of a surprise because. Um, you know, not necessarily Australia, because Mustang is a very well-established brand over there. But um, Southeast Asia, you know, um, it's um, it's interesting just because there are so many established GT3 cars out there already. But um, certainly customers are looking at the new generation GT3s we're going to be getting that really all kicked off this year with the BMW and and um, and the next year with the Ferrari and the new Porsche and, and then 2024 with the Corvette and Ford and some other cars probably mixed in there by that time as well. So um, lots of optimism around this this car. Um, the design is quite interesting. It doesn't really look like a Mustang by the nose of the car. It's a very sleek um, looking front end. The GT4 looks like more of a traditional Mustang. I asked Mark if the, if the GT3 car will be homologated based off of the dark horse car which will be available as a road going car as like basically the top of the line um in performance road car and also as a track day car or a grassroots racing car um there's i think monikers for s and r i think the r is the grassroots car that can run in in nasa or, or scca competition um mark didn't confirm that the gt3 is homologated from the dark horse but it certainly looks like it takes some inspiration from that. Um, also, the rear wing of that car is very unique. It's a it's a swan neck rear wing, like we've seen in a lot of GT3 cars and GT machinery over the last couple of years. But it's connected basically back by the rear window mount area, and I, I've never seen such a long um, connection, you know, mount to the rear wing um, in, a, in a in a in a race car like this outside of maybe drift cars or something like that. So um, let's see if it, it goes through final homologation like that. Uh, Mark did tell me that this is the way the car looks and its current form. And of course, they're not finally, you know, FIA homologated yet with the GT3 car. So there could still be some changes in the work. So I, I wouldn't get my hopes up just yet on that wing, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but nonetheless, um, it's great to see the, the car in digital form. And um, yeah, it, it could be testing as early as later this year. Um, I would probably say November, December, if not that, probably January or February. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's always kind of that game of how close does the real car look to the renders. And if it does uh, turn out that this long swan neck makes it onto the final production car, we may have to rename it, I don't know, a, a giraffe neck for how, how long those connectors are. But either way, we'll have to wait and see. It was revealed during the press conference, too, or it was hinted, rather, that there might actually be a Mustang-only grassroots racing series that we could see maybe similar to uh, an MX-5 Cup or a, a GR86 Cup, just maybe at a more grassroots club level, as you mentioned, SEC or NASA. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. And I, I wasn't able to ask Mark about that directly, but um, certainly that's something to keep an eye on for the future. 
And speaking of reveals, Lamborghini revealed some of the technical details for its upcoming LMDH car. It will run a twin-turbo V8 paired with a spec hybrid system. Uh, Rumors are that the popular Huracan road car could uh, eventually adopt a similar power plant. We've seen Lamborghini toy with hybrid technology in the Sion. And the other interesting thing uh, in connection with that car is the headlight design. It's very similar, that kind of tri-spoke design we've seen uh, on taillights in Lamborghini road cars, but most notably in the headlights of the Sion. Could this be maybe a testing platform to see how this hybrid technology works or maybe also just a a marketing tactic to sell more of these cars down the road and showcase the hybrid technology in racing? Uh, What we do know is that Lamborghini will debut the car in both the World Endurance Championship and IMSA. It will focus mainly on the Michelin Endurance Cup in the States. Uh, And it's unlikely to debut at the 2024-24 hours of Daytona, but Sebring is a possibility. We'll just have to see which side of Super Sebring they bring the cars to. Yeah, I I kind of would doubt that they would do both if that's the debut race. That's just my thought as, as a manu- if I was a manufacturer, um, it might be a, stretching resources a little too thin to to run both races on that weekend. Um, and a lot of things can still change. But um, great to see that updated render and and like you said, Jonathan, you know, styling cues taken from some other. Lamborghini machinery. I think that's really cool to see. There's already a debate going on Twitter about how close the the headlights look to the Cadillac um, uh, LMDH car, and people Durrani was talking about um, Lamborghini taking taking it from them, and it, it you could tell everything's starting to heat up in the world of of new cars and LMDH right now for sure, and um, it's it's really interesting to to sort of also get the details on the engine. And a lot of people just looking at the first, some of the early reactions from this news story that was published on, on Monday on Sports Car 365, um, a lot of people are thinking that this engine either came from Porsche or from the now defunct Audi LMDH program, and that is not the case. Um, I've spoken uh, to, to Chris Ward, the the, the director in uh, of North American activities for motorsports for Lamborghini, and he assured me that this is going to be a ground-up designed engine, and I, I think, as you said, Jonathan, I think it's a, a really strong point that this is likely going to be a, a potential basis for a future production car, or maybe something coming out in parallel. Because we don't, we know the Huracan is coming to its end of, of its lifespan right now, as far as I know, at least at least the current version of the Huracan. I think. Um, there's a next generation car that's in the works, and it's well, it's rumored to be a a, a V8 twin turbo, and um, it would make a lot of sense for for Lamborghini to follow something along those lines, especially with the integration of hybrid technology in their upcoming road cars as well. Absolutely. And we know that racing is often a testing a laboratory for a lot of this technology. So I wouldn't be surprised if the learnings found in IMSA and the World Endurance Championship made it into the road cars. That's kind of the trend you see, that trickle down of technology from the racetrack to the road. Yeah, absolutely. And and going back to the, the program on the IMSA side, it is interesting in their press release, they stated it'll compete in the IMSA Endurance Cup races, which is the Michelin Endurance Cup um, in 2024. And um, I think that's a bit of a news item because I think we all sort of assumed that they were going to be doing a full season whenever they would be starting the program. If it was going to be Sebring or, or later, um, they would sort of complete the rest of the WeatherTech Championship season. But it looks like for the first year, um, the program will be um, just focused around the Endurance Cup races, potentially adding other races. I don't think they've ruled that out right now. 
but um, really just focusing on the long distance IMSA races and then the full WEC schedule, hopefully, um, if they're able to get the car ready by Sebring. Absolutely. And the other thing we're waiting on confirmation for is who's going to partner with Lamborghini to run the car. We still don't know that yet, uh, along with some other more specific details about the car. We know uh, two other drivers. We know a little bit more about the power plant and some of the design now. But I would say the big thing is who is going to be running the car? Yeah, we. I think we should get details by the end of the year on that. Um, it has been decided as far as I know internally, but um, looking forward to an announcement on that, um, hopefully in the next couple months. One announcement we do have is that Porsche and Penske will run two autonomous teams in the World Endurance Championship and in IMSA. We know that the teams will operate independently of one another, but they will likely share some technology, a lot of findings, uh, and maybe even some personnel could cross over. We haven't gotten a confirmation on that explicitly, although it's been hinted to. Uh, We do know, as we said, they'll be sharing data. They'll be having weekly team meetings. We know that the World Endurance Championship effort will operate out of a Penske dealership in Mannheim, Germany that's kind of close to YSOC, and they're finishing up a race shop there that should be done in the next couple of months or so and the IMSA team will operate out of Penske's motorsport headquarters in Mooresville North Carolina yeah um, this kind of makes a lot of sense and and obviously being an American based team you sort of do have to base yourself in in Europe as well Um, this Penske operation is going to be the second American team to have a dual full season program after uh, between WEC and the WeatherTech Championship after Chip Ganassi Racing did it with the Ford GT from 2016 to 2019. The only difference with the Ford program is that they actually were run by Multimatic in the UK, out of the UK, and um, that program ended up running under the Chip Ganassi Racing banner. This Porsche Penske Motorsport program, they're actually recruiting people specifically for the program out of out of Germany, and there's going to be a mix of nationalities. There's going to be some Americans in there. There's going to be um, you know, a lot of experienced people from the world of motorsports. So it's not like you're taking another team and badging it as something else. This is going to be a full-blown Penske, Porsche Penske motorsport operation on both sides of the pond. And I think part of the reason they have to operate autonomously is that there still could be a chance for some clashing events between IMSA and WEC next year. We're still waiting in the WEC calendar. Um, rumor is that um, they'll be going to Portimao as the seventh round of the championship um, starting in 2023, starting next year. And that event is rumored, at least right now, to be sliding in in the middle of April. And you, we would know that obviously the middle of April, that's Long Beach. And I, I personally sure hope that this doesn't turn into a clash, but I'm just foreseeing what could happen there, um, given the tight time frame between Sebring and then the traditional early May date of Spa. Um, you know, it, it might turn into a, a clash. We'll have to wait and see when the WEC calendar comes out. It was supposed to be released during the, the Fuji weekend Um but it was delayed due to some um, some technicalities with the FIA and and whatnot. So um, we're sort of still waiting and to hopefully there's no clashes between the series because that would be a shame considering um, in the first year of the LMDH platform in both championships and and there might be some crossover with drivers and and whatnot. So um, fingers crossed it doesn't materialize. But um, this is one of those situations where a team like Penske would always look at all possibilities, look at all 
different options, you know, knowing that there could be anything thrown at them. And I, I think this is a really smart approach by them keeping those two teams independent of each other largely. Um, sure, there's going to be some few crossovers, you know, with the managing director, Jonathan Duguid, um, being one of them. But, um, you know, there's always going to be one or two people at the top top step of the of, of the pyramid there. But um, certainly a, a strong desire there to keep things separate. And I think that's a good move. Absolutely. And as you said, you, you got to assume with the new LMDH and LMH era coming into the forefront that teams are, are not really going to want this overlap too, too much. And they'll they'll likely make that very clear to the FIA and, and the governing bodies at B. But on top of that, you mentioned the drivers, and, and that's something of interest, too, because with so many of these drivers being plucked from the GT ranks, does that somewhat create a driver shortage if these series start to overlap? I don't know. But either way, you would hope that they would run independently of another to avoid any clashes. Yeah, uh, the WEC has always stated that they're a want to make sure they don't clash with the major IMSA endurance races, and and I, I firmly believe that. Um, Sebring is a, is a joint event, so there's always going to be an internal clash there. If there are some manufacturers that don't want to run, you know, have the drivers run both races on a weekend, and that's understandable. Um, then the WEC's WEC's second priority is not to clash with Formula E. And um, I honestly don't know where that stands for next year, but there are some Formula E drivers that are already signed um, for hypercar uh, class entries. And then the third priority is not is to avoid key clashes with Formula One. And I know F1's calendar is quite in flux, and that's actually affecting some other sports car races around the world that have already confirmed dates. So um, we're kind of waiting on the calendars right now to sort of see how everything shakes out, I think. Another top-level prototype news, we know that Toyota will consider their drivers competing in IMSA rounds on a case-by-case basis, and there's been precedent for this set before. We know that Brendan Hartley will be plucked for Motul Petit Le Mans. Kamui Kobayashi made an appearance at Lexus this season. We've also seen him, uh, along with Conway and Lopez, drive in the Cadillacs this year. And according to Pascal Vassilon, Toyota's World Endurance Championship technical director, they obviously don't want their drivers competing against them, uh, but since Toyota has not made any plans and made it very clear that they will not race an IMSA for the time being. This shouldn't be an issue on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, the impression I got from this article, and, and Dan Lloyd did the reporting here um, while he was in Fuji, I, I, I get the sense that they're okay with a somebody like Brendan driving for an Acura team because Acura is not going to be competing against Toyota for Lamborghini and WEC, at least for the first year. Cadillac, on the other hand, will be competing against Toyota in the WEC with one car run by Chip Ganassi Racing. We don't know the driver lineups yet, but um, still, there could be some crossover between the IMSA and WEC programs in terms of lessons learned, etc. So when Pascal says case-by-case basis, that's the impression I got in terms of you know manufacturer considerations. If you're an Acura, for instance, that's not going to race at Le Mans or WEC or BMW next year. You know, it could be a BMW situation, although they have a lot of drivers internally. I don't think they're going to be looking at Toyota drivers to fill their roster, but um, obviously BMW is the other LMDH manufacturer that won't be at WEC for year one. Um, they will be in year two. So I, I think that's the impression I got um, from this development. So I still, I'd be very surprised to see any of the Toyota hypercar drivers in a Cadillac next year, just because of that fact. Um, the other development is that um, Kamui Kobayashi seems to have more and more commitments um, 
due to his team principal role at Toyota Gazoo Racing. And I think that might ultimately rule him out from doing the endurance races in IMSA altogether. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, I know there's options. Um, both Kamui and Mike Conway were looking at options in other classes, in, in GTD, um, in LMP2. Um, but um, that's all still to play for, I think, at this point. Absolutely. And I think that the position that Toyota's in is is a good one because they really have some of the best drivers on the market at the moment. And because they're not competing in IMSA, they can send them wherever they like at their discretion. Again, we've seen this a lot this season. We're, we're going to see it at Petit and who knows what we'll see beyond that as well. Glickenhaus has confirmed it will miss the World Endurance Championship season finale in Bahrain. We know it missed Fuji, so the hypercar grid will look as it did in Fuji. And the plans for the American manufacturer in the future are somewhat unclear. We know that the World Endurance Championship has announced it will be flexible with Glickenhaus in the championship this year, being that they're missing some rounds given uh, their unpredictable financial situation at the moment. But we understand that they're in somewhat of a rebuilding phase, trying to gather funds at the moment. But as we said, the future right now for them is is unclear. Yeah, I, I, we don't really have much information on what their plans could be for next year. I know Jim Glickenhaus has come out and said that they hope to be back, um, but I kind of doubt it would be a full season effort because we've seen this year them only focus on the basically the American and European rounds. Um, and I would expect something similar again to be the case for them if, if that's the case. So um, I think it's really just let's wait and see. Um, their non-appearance in Bahrain, I don't think that's really a huge surprise because um, Jim stated earlier in the year that they had both – Japan and Bahrain are are not markets that Glickenhaus currently serves for its, its road cars, so um, they don't they're not top priorities for him unless there's a customer opportunity or or something along those lines. I know he's trying to actively sell cars, as are um, some other manufacturers like Baikalis with their um, their Van Wall. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see where this will sort of develop. I, I think next year there will still be space on the hypercar grid um, for perhaps uh, a manufacturer like Glickenhaus that does uh, maybe half of a season or, or three quarters of a season. But by 2024, I, I think the FIA and WEC are going to have to put their foot down and say full season entries only. And if you don't do every race, then you're out. So next year could really be Glickenhaus's final crack at the at the, the WEC with their car um, depending on how things ultimately play out but I, I'm I'm pretty certain that it's going to be much harder to get an entry in 24 just because of the sheer number of, of, of entrants in the hypercar class. Yeah, and you really do hope it, it's going to work out for Glickenhaus and, and to see an American manufacturer like this represented on the grid is, is cool from a fan perspective, obviously, as an American, but uh, also just from a variety perspective, it's neat to see an independent team like this come in and try to mix it up with the big guys. And, and they've had some great results this year and shown a lot of pace. So fingers crossed uh, for things to come. We know now that the NASCAR Xfinity Series will replace IMSA for the upcoming race in the streets of Chicago. It was originally planned that an IMSA-sanctioned series that was yet to be announced would race alongside the NASCAR Cup Series in support, but we know it'll be all NASCAR now, at least for the foreseeable future in 2023 in Chicago. Yeah, I don't think it's ruled out for the future, um, for you know 2024 or beyond, but um, for, for sure for 23, it's just going to be the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. Um, personally, it comes as a bit of a disappointment to me being a Chicago born and raised um, in the Chicagoland area. And, and I was personally really looking forward to 
maybe covering this event. And uh, yeah, now it's not going to going to materialize with with IMSA. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons behind it. Um, you know, the calendars were in flux a little bit at one time. Now they've been finalized with some of the some of the series. The only calendar that yet that's yet to be finalized out of the IMSA sanctioned series is the Porsche Carrera Cup North America. Um, I, I honestly don't know if there are any serious discussions with that series to run in Chicago or not. Um, I know there were for some other series that were IMSA sanctioned, but ultimately it's been decided to um, not have that uh, for, for next year. So um, maybe it could be a, a blessing in disguise. I know there's been a lot of critics um, talking about how the, the, the layout of the track may be a bit difficult on cars. Um, there's, you know, the sh- downtown s- streets are very bumpy. I don't know if there's any plans to pave this part of the track or not, um, or keep it as is. If it's as is, then it it, it might have torn up a lot of sports cars. So, um, yeah, let's wait and see how the NASCAR races play out. And and I think IMSA is going to still keep a close eye on it in terms of um, potential inclusion in, in the years to come, but it won't be in 23. Well, with Career Cup North America not announced yet, if Jeff Gordon continues to race in that series, maybe he can advocate for an IMSA series of some sort uh, to race alongside the Cup Series. Yeah, you never know. Nico Muller joins Peugeot in their hypercar program for 2023. It was announced earlier this week on the website that he will leave Audi in the DTM after a long and fruitful eight-year relationship at the end of this season. Uh, the two-time DTM runner-up, again, will join the French manufacturer in their hypercar effort for next year. This is another example, John, of a former driver that we were thinking was going to be with the Audi LMDH program having to find another seat elsewhere. Yeah, this is another one of those situations where you see and and the continuing fallout at Audi. Um, Nico's quotes were very telling just by by looking at, at what he said was the main reason on why he's leaving. And it was simply because Audi didn't have anything to offer him to race in top level prototype racing. And he was initially him, him and Rene Rast were initially announced as the two, the first two uh, LMDH drivers for the program. And now Rene has gone over to BMW, presumably to, to drive the LMDH in 2024 um, or possibly do some races in 23, even um, that don't clash with his formula E commitments. But um, now um, Nico also doing formula E full time next year. Um, he's, um, going to have to juggle two different programs with WEC and Formula E. But like we said earlier in the show, there shouldn't be any clashes between the two series. Nonetheless, um, it's a, a interesting career move for, for Nico. Um, he's been with Audi for so long, and I would just sort of always consider him an Audi driver, much like Rene. So, um, yeah, it, it's such a shame to see top talent just having to look elsewhere because there's not much to offer at Audi at this point beyond GT3. And um, yeah, it's one of those situations that what could have been for, for that manufacturer. What if the LMDH program still came through, you'd be seeing these drivers in different seats. Yeah, you certainly would. And as you said, it's, it's, kind of just picking up the pieces from the fallout of the shelved Audi LMDH program. But the good news is that some of these drivers, Rast and Muller, uh, Rast we assume, but Muller now we know, has found a seat in top-level prototype racing. You would assume a talent like Rene Rast would find a seat somewhere, but of course nothing's been confirmed yet. Uh, And we'll just have to see about everyone else that was involved in this program. We know obviously drivers are scrambling for seats, but there's a whole host of engineers and people behind the scenes too that now need jobs and are probably looking to do something else in the world of racing as well. Yeah, for sure. 
We have news on the World Endurance Championship rookie test. The four drivers partaking in the test have been named. It'll be Lila Wadu, Lorenzo Colombo, Dorian Pin, and Finn Gersitz. The test scheduled for November the 13th after the Bahrain season finale. Each of the four drivers will be in a different car. Lila Wadu will test the championship winning hypercar, whether that's the Alpine or the Toyota, yet to be seen, but she's guaranteed at least 30 laps. Colombo will be in the GTE Pro winning car, whatever that is, and Dorian Pin will test the LMP2 winner. Gersitz, we know, will already be in an Aston Martin GTE car, but this is a great opportunity for some young drivers to get some great experience in some excellent machinery, championship winning machinery at that. Yeah, um, the rookie test came back for the first time after the pandemic last year, and I, I think this is always a great opportunity to see up and coming drivers get opportunities like this because um, you never really do have these these chances often, especially in the cars that win the championship. I remember um, Pipo Durrani got a chance with testing the Toyota a bunch of years back. It was the TSO 5.0, and um, he was already in his climb in his career, obviously, racing in in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and, and whatnot. But um, to sort of see drivers get opportunities in, in new machinery and with top-level teams, you never know where that's going to go. And um, these young talents are definitely going to be um, taking advantage of those opportunities for sure in the day after the season-ending eight hours of Bahrain. Absolutely. And it's a great opportunity for them to, to showcase their skill at a, a technical track that they will have already driven at earlier in the weekend, should have familiarity with it there. But to, to do so in, in bigger and better machinery uh, should be very, very exciting for them in their careers. Racing Team Netherland owner and driver Fritz van Erd has been arrested in connection with a money laundering investigation. We want to make it clear that he is not the primary suspect in the case, but he is among the nine people that have been arrested by Dutch authorities in connection with a large-scale money laundering investigation. And John, this is an interesting one because the team currently sits second in the LMP2 standings in the Michelin Endurance Cup. That's Fritz van Erd and his co-driver Guido van Gaard. And of course, with Motul Petit Le Mans coming up, uh, we don't know yet what the plans are. Yeah, this is a really interesting development on multiple fronts, um, both from the team perspective and what happens with Fritz. Um, Like you said, he's not the center of, he's not the main suspect in this case. And and to be clear, it's it's separate from his team. The team is not implicated in this, as far as we know. And the and his day job as the CEO of Jumbo, which is a large supermarket chain in the Netherlands, they're not implicated with this either. So we want to set that, at least on the record, straight. Um, Fritz was in, detained in, in jail for a few days. Um, I, I believe he was released on Sunday morning. Um, so he spent uh, three or four days in, in, in jail since this development came. Um, we don't know what happens next. Um, we're still waiting to see. And with Petit Lama just around the corner, this certainly puts the team's plans in a bit of a a question mark because we don't know if there's any um, ruling that he can uh, he's is he able to leave the country or not um, I I'm not well versed with all the 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 laws in the Netherlands right now in terms of this so um, let's wait and see if the team puts out an official statement this week you know the entry list formal to a petit Lama will be released on Wednesday so maybe we'll get a better idea if the if a racing team Netherlands will be on the entry or not but um, certainly a, a big development in the world of sports car racing 
Absolutely. And, you know, just for a championship's sake and for other people involved, you do hope that we'll see them on the grid. But of course, it's it's unclear until we get the official entry list. But either way, as we said, a, a shocking development this week. We'll keep you updated, of course, as we get developments in this case as well. As always, you can read all about all of the headlines we've covered on today's show and more over on sportscar365.com. Well, John, I would say let's move into answering some listener questions, but there are none this week. And just as a reminder, uh, we always love answering these questions on the show. If you have a burning question you'd like us to answer on Double Stint, be sure to post it in the comments section below this episode or take to Twitter and post your question using the hashtag AskDoubleStint. We'll put our heads together to do our best to answer your question in an upcoming episode. And before we let you go, let's give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. We'll see the European Le Mans series take on Spa, and we'll see the return of Juan Manuel Correa. He is making his ELMS debut at this round. He'll join Louis Delatraz and Ferdinand Habsburg in the championship-leading Premacar. He'll be replacing Lorenzo Colombo, and he's returning from a foot injury that delayed his debut in this season. But just great to see him back in the car. Yeah, he's been doing some other open-wheel races. I forgot which series he's in, to be honest. I think it's F3. Um, but there were some date clashes with other ELMS rounds. So this is the first one he's able to commit to. I think he's also going to be at Portimao for the season finale. So um, good to see his sports car career sort of um, accelerate here with this um, debut in, in ELMS. Obviously, you have big shoes to fill because the, the car is leading the championship, won three races out of four so far this season. So it's been a real dominant effort by this Italian squad. Um, that's no, uh, that's no stranger to winning in, in the, in junior open wheel ranks. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how, uh, how he gets on over the weekend. There's some other entry list changes. Um, we had the news that Will Stevens is replacing Jack Aiken in the racing team, Turkey, uh, Orica. Jack has commitments in ADAC GT masters this weekend, which is racing at the Saxon ring. Um, with uh, Emil Frey racing and, the, and their Lamborghini squad, so he's unable to take part in the ELMS race. There's also some other entry list changes. You could check all that out on Sports Car 365. Also on track this week, we will see DTM take on the Red Bull Ring. Fanatec GT World Challenge America, powered by AWS, will be at Sebring. Fanatec GT World Challenge Asia, powered by AWS, will be at Okayama. ADAC GT Masters will be at the Saxon Ring, and International GT Open will take on Monza. That's it for us this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint.